If I mention just Genesis 28, uh, just randomly, it may not just immediately click. But if I say Jacob's ladder, and then it's like, well, now there's something that we can kind of sink our teeth into, and and you begin to get this image and so forth. And it's kind of a uh, well-known Bible class uh, for young kids. But I thought, well, we need to see the adult version of that too. <laughs> and uh, so we're going to really kind of uh, look at the context of all this this morning and give consideration to what is actually uh, going on there. L- let me say this as we get into this this morning, though. Have you ever gone on a vacation, uh, i.e. a road trip, so to speak? And you make a stop along the way, and maybe that wasn't really your destination, but you made this stop, and then after you made that stop, you kind of thought, wow, I'm really glad I stopped there. That turned out to be kind of a highlight type of thing. Well, Jacob is on a journey, and I think what we're going to see here this morning really turns out to be kind of the highlight uh, for him on this particular journey. And one of the reasons why this is uh, such a highlight is because what takes place here on this particular occasion changes the rest of his journey. And the reason why it changes the rest of his journey is because this will change him. And that makes a difference on the rest of his journey. So I want to give you a little background and a little setup for all this so we can come to understand exactly what's taking place here in Genesis, the 28th chapter. So first of all, one of the things we want to know is why was Jacob leaving home uh, to begin with? And let me say this about Jacob's nature and about, I believe, our nature, human nature. I don't think it's just natural for us to just desire initially anyway, for a Savior and for a Lord over my life. Because most time it's kind of like, I got this. I can handle this. And if I run into some challenges, if I run into some obstacles along the way, you know what, let me think this through. Let me apply whatever skills I got and I'll work this out in whose best interest? My best interest. And so we just don't naturally gravitate to this idea of I need a Savior and I need a Lord, someone to help direct my life. One of the reasons why I think that is so is because we oftentimes fail to see the big picture. (laughs) And as we come to understand the Scriptures we don't necessarily initially see the big picture of what God is doing. And then we don't necessarily at first see how I fit into that picture. And while God's working out his plan, that he also has a plan for me. Because I've already made it up in my mind I'll work this out in my own best interest. And so what we have to come to do is to understand God has a plan. 
He's working out that plan. He has a plan for me. And if I ever get to that point (laughs) where I understand God's plan and that he actually has a plan for me, that changes everything. And that changes your perspective on life. One of the reasons why I think Jacob is such an interesting character is because, as I mentioned to Jack before we started this morning, I can see Larry in this story. And and if we're really honest about it, I think all of us would say, yeah, I can see myself in Jacob and in his life. Because Jacob's that guy. Jacob's that one that says, I got this. I can work this out. I can make this come out in my own best interest. Jacob's kind of that guy. Maybe we're not quite as aggressive as Jacob is. (laughs) Maybe we are. (laughs) Jacob's that guy by hook or by crook. I'm going to work this out in my best interest. (laughs) And if I step on you on the way, so be it. I'm just working things out. So that's Jacob. But let me say, sometimes in life, as we become a little wiser, maybe a little older, sometimes we say, you know what? If I'd have known back then what I know now, I would have done that differently. Well, guess what? God knows now and he knows then and that's why he wants you to listen to him now. So here's Jacob and he's kind of that kind of guy. I can work this out on my own. Well, Jacob had a brother. Remember him? Esau. And he's not just his brother, he's his twin brother. And whenever they were born, if you recall, Esau was born first. And under the Jewish system, Hebrew system, the mere fact that Esau, even though they were twins, born on the same day, maybe within just, you know, same minute, the mere fact that Esau was born first, that gave him certain rights as the firstborn. He naturally would get the birthright. And whenever you get the birthright as the firstborn, that means you get a double portion of the family inheritance. And the way that would work that out, simple illustration is like this. A man has three sons. He dies, they're going to divide up the family inheritance. They don't divide it up three ways. They divide it up four ways. The older son will get a double portion. The other two will get to divide what's left. So having the birthright, you get the double portion. Esau came out first. He set up to get the double portion. But guess what? Guess who (laughs) comes out hanging on to Esau's heel? That's Jacob. Jacob's name means supplanter. We'll get more of that in a minute. We're told about Jacob and Esau. I think it's interesting. 
Esau is a man of the field. He is a hunter. In my mind, he's the blue-collar guy. <laughs> but it tells us about Jacob that he was mild-mannered and he dwelt in tents. He's the white-collar guy. <laughs> Esau's kind of spontaneous, impetuous. Jacob is the thinker. Schemer, maybe would be a better term. So one day... Jacob or Esau is out in the field and he's hunting and he comes in and Jacob has been making stew. Esau is practically starved to death and he says, give me some of that stew. And Jacob says, you've got that birthright. I'd like to have that birthright. And Esau says, I'm about to die here. Could you give me some stew? And Jacob says, give me your birthright. So he finagles it and ends up with the birthright. Esau gives it to him. So now there's something else that we're told about Jacob and Esau before they were born. Rebecca, she's having sort of strange feelings, it seems like. And she's concerned about what's going on inside her womb. And God speaks to her and says... There are two peoples, two nations within you. And then he goes on to say, and the older shall serve the younger. Who's older? Esau. Who's younger? Jacob. But God told him before they were ever born, tells Rebekah, the older is going to serve the younger. I got a question. It doesn't state specifically. But do you think Jacob knew that? I think there's a real good chance. The reason why I say that is this. We are told that Esau was I, the dad, Isaac, that Esau was his favorite. He kind of liked eating that game that Jacob, or Esau went out and killed. Rebecca had a favorite. Guess who? <laughs> That's Jacob. I just can't help but imagine that she would tell him what God had told her. And do you think maybe Jacob thought about that? Yeah. By tradition, you have a right to the birthright. But God has said I really should have that. And so, when the opportunity presents itself, Jacob's a thinker. He's a schemer. He jumps on it. You hungry? Give me that birthright. And so that's what, that's what happened. But now, some years later, Isaac's getting old. Isaac has lost his eyesight. Isaac thinks it's time that he is soon going to be dying. So he calls for Esau. And he says, Esau, <laughs> go out into the field and kill some of that game. And bring it to me that I may eat a delicious meal before I die. Rebecca overhears that. 
she tells Jacob, go in the field and get a goat and bring it here and I will prepare a meal. Now, we all know this. Most of us do. Esau had certain characteristics physically. (laughs) One of them was he was a hairy guy. (laughs) So Jacob says, wait a minute. Dad, Isaac, may figure out if I bring in this meal, it's not Esau. That's okay. Him and Rebecca's got this worked out. Let's take that goat. Let's skin him. Let's take some of that skin, put it on the back of your hand so that when you go in there and he asks, is it you, Esau? You go up and let him feel you. And that's what happens. And Isaac says, it sounds like Jacob. But you say you're Esau. Come. (laughs) And so he comes and he touches him and he says, hmm, must be Esau. So, he eats, and then he says, he's going to bless him. There was two biggies in the Hebrew life. There's the birthright, and there's the blessing. That's what Rebecca and Jacob are angling for. You got the birthright. You need the blessing. The blessing is this. Really what that had to do with is after the father dies, the one who receives the blessing, he's the one that's kind of in charge of the family. Oftentimes we talk about this being the patriarchal age and we talk about the patriarchs. Those were the heads of the families. And oftentimes when we talk about the patriarchs, we say there's Abraham, there's Isaac, and there's Jacob. (laughs) So you see, under Hebrew tradition, and you can look at other places, it didn't always have to be the firstborn that would receive the blessing. But Jacob wants the blessing also. Because after you're gone, the guy that's going to run things around here... (laughs) He wants it to be him. I want the blessing too. And so he gets the blessing. But Esau comes in and he's going to give a meal to his father and he's like, I already ate. (laughs) Who brought that in here? And then it's revealed that was Jacob. And Esau is upset. He got the birthright. And now he's got the blessing. And you know what Esau says about that? It won't be long. He doesn't say it right at that moment. (laughs) It won't be long until the time for mourning my father is over. And when it has passed, I will kill my brother. Rebecca overhears that. (laughs) So she calls for Jacob. And she tells him essentially, he's upset. (laughs) And the best thing for you to do, (laughs) you need to get out of town. (laughs) I want you to go to Haran. 
to my brothers. Jacob thinks, might not be a bad idea. <laughs> and then Rebekah goes to Isaac and she says to him, you know the daughters of half, they're really a thorn in my side. In other words, I don't like them. And see, what she's suggesting is, is that if Jacob stays here, he's liable to maybe end up married to one of them. I think it'd be a real good idea if we went back to Iran and he found a wife there. So chapter 28. Let me get in the right book. I'm in Exodus. <laughs> Genesis, the 28th chapter. It says, Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. That's where they're dwelling at that time in the land of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. I want you to go back to where our relatives are from. And there I want you to get a wife. Don't take a wife from here. But you see, you know all that background first. And that's what starts Jacob's journey. And that's the reason why he's leaving. And so Jacob says, or Isaac says, I want you to go and I want you to get a wife from there. It's also interesting that just prior to that in chapter 27, that Rebecca says to Jacob, you go, and when your brother's fury has subsided, when your brother has calmed down, <laughs> in a few days, I'll call for you. And you can come back. You know how long it's going to be before he comes back? It'll be more than 20 years before Jacob ever shows back up. But that's the plan. And so Jacob sets out. So chapter 28 and verse 10. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. So now Jacob is at, he's going to name this Bethel. It's actually Luz at that particular time. And so there's that kind of old familiar story where here's the prophet and we sing about that. <laughs> he has a stone for a pillow and his pillow is a stone we sing. This area is about two days north of Beersheba. Two days. And so Jacob's alone. And he's walking. Two days. I want you to get this in mind. Sometimes... You can be all alone and not like the person that you're with. 
You ever been there? So Jacob has had two days alone. To walk alone. To think alone. To ponder alone. What's just happened. And so he comes to this place. So night falls. He's alone. And he takes this rock. And that's his pillow. And he's going to go to sleep. Do you think maybe just before he dozed off, he might have been thinking, I had the birthright. <laughs> I had the blessing. How did I get here and I got a rock for a pillow? Well, the truth of the matter is, he's got nobody to thank but himself. That's why he's there. He's tricked, he's lied, he's cheated, he's manipulated. His brother and his father. His name also means the deceiver. And he's lived up to his name. And so now here he is. And so I have a feeling that at this point in time, Maybe it's starting to weigh a little heavy on his heart and a little bit on his conscience about what he's done and what has happened. Oh, he got what he wanted. But there's an old saying. Everything comes with a price. And so he's paying for it. Isn't that something? He got the birthright. He got the blessing. But now he's alienated from his brother and from his father and from his mother. Romans, the sixth chapter, and verse 23, says the wages of sin is death. That word death means separation. And so now he's separated. And he's out there by himself. He's out there on his own. But then, here's that famous dream. Genesis, the 28th chapter, beginning at verse 12. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. So there's Jacob. And then there's this dream. There's this ladder. And there's these angels. Descending and ascending. And God is at the top. And Jacob's at the bottom.
God's got him. <laughs> right where he wants him. See, what we got to understand about this story is, see, oftentimes we read the scriptures and we think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, so far, it's Abraham, Isaac. It's not really Jacob. See, previous to this, God has spoken to his grandfather, Abraham, and he has spoken to his father, Isaac. But he's not spoken to him. Jacob had to know how God called Abraham. Think about that. They're living in Beersheba. That's in Canaan. That's where God had brought Abraham and the family originally from someplace else. Jacob's had to know and been told, how do we get here? <laughs> and they're up there. <laughs> well, let me tell you, your father, your grandfather, Abraham, he was called. And your father, him too. And don't you think Jacob's heard those stories? And the promise that had been made to his grandfather Abraham and passed on to his father Isaac. And so Jacob knows about their faith and he's heard about his grandfather's faith and he's heard about his father's faith. But what about his faith? Essentially, up to this point, that faith is all just kind of secondhand. <laughs> oh, it's Abraham's faith and it's Isaac's faith. But how about you, Jacob? What about your faith? See, all of that that's gone before and everything that Jacob has done before is a prologue to this moment in time. God had told Rebecca, the older shall serve the younger. Jacob, don't you think he can work that out without your help? And so now here he is. And now here's this dream. This moment, this place, and this time. Even with Jacob's faults and his sins and his character flaws, he's come to this moment. And he's running for his life. And I think it's interesting. When you look at the map, he's running away from the promised land. 
Isn't that ironic? C.S. Lewis says, God whispers. God whispers to us in our pleasure. But he shouts at us in our pain. He went on to say, God's megaphone, God uses pain as a megaphone to arouse a sleeping world. And so now, God speaks to him in this dream. God's got him to that point. Now you'll listen. It's interesting also that when you turn to the pages of the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2, when the Hebrew writer says that in times past, that God spoke to the prophets at various times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son. Here's a perfect illustration of God in the past speaking at various times and in various ways and now he's going to speak to Jacob through this dream because now he knows Jacob will listen see he's already had enough time to try life on his own (laughs) how'd that work out for you Jacob you think maybe you could listen to me for a moment So in verses 11 through 15, I'll read it again. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set and he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven and there the angels of God were ascending and descending. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Now, it's God and it's Jacob. And I'm talking to you, Jacob. So here's Jacob. And there's a ladder. Language actually means stairway. There's a way to go up to heaven and there's angels messengers and they're coming down and they're going up and God is at the top so here's lying cheating, manipulating alone separated from everybody Jacob And then God shows up. 
and God is up here. But he's sending a message down there to you, Jacob. Even though you don't deserve it, I'm sending it. And why is he sending it? Because that's who God is. <laughs> Not because you deserve it. Because that's the kind of God that he is. And when you thought you were all alone, I was watching over you. And I was waiting for you. And when you were ready, then I spoke to you. So what's the message? God says, I'm going to give you this land. You're leaving, but I'm going to give it to you. And your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You don't even have a wife yet, and I'm telling you, <laughs> I'm going to multiply your offspring. And you right now probably are feeling a little insignificant, <laughs> maybe a little worthless, but I'm telling you, I got a plan for you. And that through you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. You think that's a game changer? Sometimes people say, well, you know, this is where Jacob met God. And that's true. But what we need to understand also is this is where God came to meet Jacob. Where he was at that time in his situation. And he meets Jacob and he meets all of his needs. His past, his present, and his future. God's got it covered. I know who you are. I know what you've done. There's nothing that is hidden from me. And I'll be with you. I have a plan for you. My plan includes you. And so Jacob, one of the things he's going to learn, there's no place that he's been, there's no place where he is, and there's no place where he's going that God doesn't know about. Past, present, future, physically, spiritually, God knows. And he knows it all. So what does Jacob learn? I'm going to work this kind of backwards. So Genesis 28 verse 16 first. Then Jacob awoke. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> then. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. <laughs> I think that's almost kind of funny. 
God's in this place. Is there any place where God isn't? But it says, Jacob awoke. We all need to wake up to that fact. God knows where we are. And he's here. And he knows what's going on. And he knew before we got here. And he'll know after we leave here. And it says, Jacob awoke. And he said, God is in this place. Matthew, the 10th chapter. When Jesus is getting ready to send out his disciples on that occasion, on what we refer to as the limited commission, one of the things that he tells them, because he knows that they are going to encounter some difficulties, one of the things that he tells them is, there is not a sparrow that falls that your heavenly Father does not know about. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. And you are worth more than many sparrows. So in other words, whatever circumstance, whatever situation, whatever it is that you run into, don't think that you're out there on your own. Your Heavenly Father knows it and what's coming. And so I'm helping to prepare you for it. Jehovah Shammah is the name that God uses for Himself in the Old Testament, which means God is there. So Jacob wakes up and he says, Surely the Lord is in this place. Right here, right now, God is here. And he names that place, place Bethel, which means the house of God. How many people do you think need to wake up to that fact? <laughs> that God is here. How many Christians need to wake up to that fact? Whatever situation we're in, God is here. Whether you feel it, whether you see it, whether you know it, God's telling you, I'm there. I'm always there. And God sees you where you are, and He can meet your needs. And He has a plan. And there's a plan for eternity, but there's a plan for your life. Genesis 28 verse 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Jacob, you think you've been traveling alone, but I, I've been with you all the time. And this is what's going to change your journey. Because I'm telling you, I'll be with you. You don't know what all you're going to encounter, but I know what you're going to encounter, and I know where you're going, I know how long you'll be gone, and I'm going to bring you back to this land. And it's interesting, later on, he'll have to remind him, you need to go. <laughs> you need to go back to Bethel. And he'll bring him back. Back there. Do you recall when the children of Israel were led by Moses and they came out of Egypt? And they went across, there were the plagues, and then they went across the Red Sea, 
and then they traveled through the wilderness, and then they came to Sinai, and then they camped there, and then Moses went up on the mount, and then they got a little restless. Remember that? And so after he was gone for a while, they got together and they said, we need to make us a god to go before us. Where do you think they got that idea? Do you think maybe they got that idea from God has been going before them? (laughs) Isn't he the one that led them out of Egypt across the Red Sea through the wilderness and brought them to Sinai? And so now they get together because they're getting impatient. Does that sound familiar? I'm going to make myself a God that will go before me. (laughs) Because this one's not moving quite as fast as I think he should. Proverbs 3 and verse 6. The writer of Proverbs, Solomon says, Acknowledge God in all of your ways, and He will make your paths straight. You know what that means? I know where you're going. I'll get it ready for you. I'll get you ready so you can travel this path too. Acknowledge Him in all your ways and He will make your path straight. A few years back, a lot of them, (laughs) I was living in Garden Grove, California. And there was a president by the name of Reagan was going to come right down Garden Grove Boulevard. You know what they did to Garden Grove Boulevard before President Reagan showed up? That thing became like glass. I never seen Garden Grove Boulevard in such good shape in all of my life. <laughs> they prepared the way. Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 30. It says that the Lord your God who goes before you He will fight for you according to all that He did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw how how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet for all that you did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to uh, to pitch your tents to show you the way you should go in fire by night and in the cloud by day. God is going before you. He's preparing the way for you. You know what that means? That means you and I are living Sunday. He's already working on Tuesday. You thinking about today? He's thinking about next week, next month, next year. And so God says, I won't leave you until I've done what I said. I'm not going to take the time, but I'll encourage you to read it. (laughs) 
Isaiah the 45th chapter. Isaiah the prophet, speaking to the children of Israel, before they are ever taken away into captivity. And he talks about his servant that he is going to go before and break those iron bars and make the way for him to go. And then he says, for the sake of Jacob and Israel. What is he talking about? Back up to verse 1 of Isaiah 45. You know who he's talking about? He's talking about Cyrus. Cyrus, the king of Persia. Cyrus, who has not even been born yet. It's over 200 years till Cyrus will come on the picture. And Israel is going to get carried away into Babylonian captivity. And guess who's going to deliver them? (laughs) Well, well, well. (laughs) Isaiah calls him out by name. Cyrus. And he says, my servant. God's thinking. Way out there. And he tells Jacob, I'm going to bring you back here. Verse 28, or verse 20, chapter 28, Genesis 28. It says, get the right page then Jacob made a vow saying if I'll explain that in a minute if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house and all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Some commentators suggest that word if should be understood since. And I would agree with that. It's similar to the language that Paul uses in the book of Colossians, which we'll be taking a look at. If you be raised with God, since you are raised, set your mind on things above. So that's what he's saying. Well, since God has made this vow, now he's spoken to me. See, it used to be Abraham's faith. It used to be Isaac's faith. Now it's mine. And he says, this is what I will do. And that's not to say, I'll just say this in in passing. That's not to say that Jacob's going to be perfect from here on. (laughs) There'll be the old Jacob that'll show up from time to time. And can't we identify with that too? But sometimes we have to be reminded of the vow that God made to us and the one that we made to Him. So Genesis 28 and verse 12 now. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There's that ladder. There's those angels. Jacob's down here. God is up there. Do you know 
where that comparison is made in the New Testament. Gospel of John. Chapter 1 and beginning at verse 43. John chapter 1 and verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So what's the application? The application is simply this. In the New Testament, that ladder is not a what, it's a who. In Genesis, the 28th chapter, God's at the top. Jacob is at the bottom. In John's Gospel, John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, in Genesis 28, God is at the top. In John's Gospel, God came down. In Genesis 28, he's sending messages and receiving them back. In John's Gospel, that message came down personally in the form of Jesus Christ. There's an old saying and it goes like this. The Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men could become the sons of God. And Jesus says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So that's the story of Jacob's ladder. That's the story of when Jacob met God and when God came to meet Jacob at Bethel. That's really the story of when the hurting met the healer. And so Jacob awoke 
And he said, Surely God is in this place. So what's it all about? Well, it's about God's grace and it's about God's mercy and it's about His love and it's about His care. But it's also about the fact that there was a there was a place for a liar and a cheater. And a schemer and a manipulator <coughs> and a sinner. So, what's that mean? <coughs> it means there's a place for me. So, God had a plan. And he had a plan for Jacob. And he came finally to that place where he could start over. And there was a new beginning. There's a place that he came to where he said, I'm tired of doing it on my own. And so God spoke to him. Why don't you try it my way, Jacob? And he says, I'll always be there for you. Even when you don't know it. That's not to say that we won't ever face challenges or rough places in life. And as someone once said, there's no guarantees in this life except one. And that one is, God says, wherever you go, I'll be with you. The question is, Will we travel with him? That's the question. So we extend the invitation this morning to any and all that are here. If any way we can make you or help you to make your relationship right with the Lord, you let us know while together we stand and while we sing.